the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com. Or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hey, it's tax day. Depending on where you live, just a reminder, some California counties have an automatic extension on their taxes. Don't take my word for it. Just look it up before you you go and do that. But I don't know. I miss the adrenaline rush of racing to the main post office to drop off your extension before the midnight midnight deadline. You ever do that? I used to do that all the time, drove my wife crazy. Every procrastinator in the county driving 90 miles an hour down the freeway just to get to the annual midnight line of shame at the post office to drop it off. Now all I can do is post a uh, screenshot of my TurboTax confirmation online that my extension arrived at 11.57 p.m. Anyway, pay attention for that, uh, you know, today. And, uh, you know, it seems like we are living in a time... You know, and the reason that you you might have an extension automatic is because um, there are several people who deserve that in California because there was so much snow and they had a lot of problems because of the weather and it really did impact their lives. But for a lot of us, it didn't. They did it by county. It seems like we're always living in a time of emergency the last few years. And, um, you know, I don't know. I'm not really a big fan of that. I take offense at our policies and strategies. Well, thank you, Governor. A lot of us do. Remember the COVID shutdowns and the controversies that still exist. One of the biggest, and I think one of the most important long-term, was the school shutdowns. California was shut down, I believe, longer than any state. LA Unified was shut down to in-person learning for nearly two years even though most of the private school people went back just a couple of months after the lockdowns happened. And uh, the mask wearing just ended a couple of months ago uh, here in uh, Southern California. During that time, if you spoke out, and still I think in some respects, if you spoke out against the policies, uh, particularly the school shutdowns, you were shunned, banned, canceled, and even anonymous tech people at Twitter and Facebook would do that, but often by your friends, family, and some people even lost their jobs. With me as a guest who has experienced all of that, her name is Jennifer Say. Jennifer was on track to become the first woman CEO of Levi Strauss and Company, and she was the president of the Levi's brand. She was celebrated as a versatile and inspirational leader in the company who helped save Levi's from a bankruptcy. And uh, she has been described as somebody who is left of left of center, a left of left of center progressive, and she was beloved in the company until... Everything changed when she decided to publicly oppose the closure of San Francisco's public schools at the height of the pandemic. And in response to her wrong think, management gave her a choice at Levi's, shut up or leave. She decided rather than take a payoff and a non-disclosure agreement that she would keep speaking out and defending at-risk children and that this was more important than any job that she loved. So she resigned and she has been telling her story. She tells it in a new book called Levi's Unbuttoned. The woke mob took my job but gave me my voice. And Jennifer Say joins me now on the Pastor Scott program. Welcome, Jennifer. How are you today? 
I'm good. Thank you for having me. That was a good intro. Oh, well, thank you. Do you uh, have your taxes <laughs> done or do you uh, file for that extension and uh, do all of that? It's a personal question, but... I, I did mine, in fact. Oh, well, so. good, good for you. I had some help. I'll, I'll admit that. I had some help. But yes, done and done. All right. Well, good for you. Hey, I read your book. I enjoyed it. I recommend it. It's called Levi's Unbuttoned. And um, what I really enjoyed about it, there's a lot of things that I enjoyed about it, but you know, you were you gave us a lot of personal information about your story, about challenges that you have as uh, a woman, as a woman executive, and even personal challenges. You were uh, you were a uh, champion gymnast um, at one yep. point, and yep. and uh, you know, I think that a lot of people get a lot out of your book, even beyond the main subject, which is being able to speak up in our yeah. our country today. Uh, tell us about your family and uh, your kids and uh, and who you are a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, I um, I have four children, wide range of ages, 22, 19, 8, and 6. I was a longtime San Francisco resident and longtime Levi's employee. I worked there close to 23 years. I started as an entry-level marketing assistant and worked my way up the ladder, which, you know, I go into some detail about that in the book. It wasn't a particularly easy ladder to climb for, for women in corporate America and in, in a very male-driven culture at Levi's in the 90s and, and early 2000s. But I love I've been wearing it since I was a child. Um, I think I would have a hard time working in a company where I didn't actually embrace the product and, mm-hmm. you know, love and, and use the product myself. And so I persisted through all the challenges and eventually, you know, I got high enough up that I could actually start to shape the culture and, you know, um, ironically, to make it more inclusive to, <laughs> to women, et cetera. Um, and, and ultimately, I became the chief marketing officer, and I think that's really where I made my mark in, in 2013. And the company had had over a decade of declines. This great, iconic brand, which turns 150 this year, um, was on the brink of bankruptcy. And, um, you know, for eight years, I, I was in that role. And as you mentioned, I was, I was definitely a leading part of the team that brought it back. And we ultimately had a successful IPO in 2019. And then I got promoted to brand president. Uh, but that all came to an end after a two-year two battle inside the company. I spoke out about school closures for a full two years. From the very beginning, I was told and warned repeatedly I needed to stop. And I declined that offer <laughs> politely, but I declined. Um, because I felt it was too important. You know, I think the, the safety and well-being of our children, our collective children, uh, was, was on the line. Truth was on the line. Uh, free speech, which I think is, you know, supposedly something we have so we can get the truth, was on the line. And, you know, as unpleasant as it has been to uh, lose my job and lose my city and many of my friends, um, the alternative to me is worse. worse. You know, which yeah. was to, be, you know, not be able to look myself in the mirror, to not stand up for vulnerable children and to accept lies as truth, because it was lies that enabled this, you know, this horrific yeah. closure situation for children. So and the reason I go into a lot of the background in my childhood and gymnastics is just to say it's not particularly easy for me to speak up. You know, I grew up in a really obedience enforcing culture, an abusive culture, and I just sort of want to give people insight into it. Like, if I can do it, you can do it. You right. Because, you, know, you know, that was sort of the purpose. I think you know, one, one of the words that you used a lot in your book was the word alone. 
And I don't know if you even realized that or not, but it, it stuck out I to did. me a lot because you found yourself alone and then you even found yourself at a place where you are speaking out and speaking the truth and getting punished for it. Yeah. It's a really disorienting experience, and it was not the first time it happened to me. You know, it happened to me um, in the sport of gymnastics. My first book called Chalked Up, which came out in 2008, was the first first-person account of the abusive culture, emotional, physical, sexual abuse that are rampant in the sport. And I didn't realize how controversial it would be that I said these things because we all experienced them together, me and my teammates, and yet I dared to say them, and they all came for me called me a liar and a grifter and um it's very disorienting when you see a thing you know a thing happened it's not my truth it's the truth right. these people were everywhere abusing us in broad daylight on the competition floor in front of our friends and family and each other um and yet to have everyone come for you in favor of supporting you know an ideology the power structure the whatever it is um, the notion that this sport is happy little dancing girls because that's what drives the money and that's what drives the medals and that's what drives the reputation. Um, and I think for a lot of people that were abused in this sport, they want to remember it favorably because it's too painful not to. Yeah. Um, and you're standing alone and you're like, come on, guys, I know you I know you know what happened. Um, and they, they won't say it. Most people, I have learned the hard way, would rather stand with the group and take comfort in the group and pretend to be virtuous in the group than to actually stand up and do the right thing and stand alone. And I do understand it because it is very hard to stand alone and thank goodness I had my husband throughout it and we could look at each other and say, we're not, we're right. We're seeing this clearly and they are not. Yeah. Um, if, I, if I didn't have that, I don't know. I might've gone insane. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is. Uh, and I want to thank you for speaking out uh, certainly about the issues during the COVID, but also the, your your time as a, a gymnast, and you were national champion, by the way. I don't want people to think that you just won like the uh, you know third street meet at the gym. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. was, yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, so I think that you have a lot to say about that. Obviously, tell us about what happened ultimately at Levi's. You are on track to become the first woman CEO, and you're yeah. coming at this. And I think people should know you're you're coming at this from a a personal standpoint left of center, as you would say, maybe left of left of center, not particularly a religious standpoint, just as somebody who has kids as a mom who says, hey, this is harming our kids. And you would think that um, people would listen to that, but that's not what happened. That is definitely not what happened. And I would have personally described myself as left of left of center for most of my adult life, although I would not now. I would call myself either politically homeless or independent or something. And yeah, I'm not a religious person. I, you know, I'm a Jewish atheist, I guess is how I would describe myself. Um, But I, it seems so patently obvious to me from the very beginning um, that this would be incredibly harmful. You know, it it just didn't pass the smell test. Mm -hmm. And so I started to go down a rabbit hole and read as much as I could and you had to really look beyond the mainstream media, which is what I had typically ingested up until that point. Um, but it was the data was available if you cared to look for it from the very beginning. That's that right. children were at little to no risk. Um, that closing schools was ill-advised um, during, you know, the, the pre-pandemic playbook from the CDC itself, um, which I think had been written in, in, in 2006 before 
kind of the fog of war, as they might mm. call it, um, you know, in the calm and calm heads can prevail. It said schools should never be closed more than just a handful of weeks, even for, you know, a disease that has a far higher fatality rate. And, and so they began to kind of manufacture consensus and truth. And, you know, this whole notion that there was no age stratification of risk was a lie. It was a lie from the beginning. It was very clear from the beginning. And the and, data showed that immediately. You know, we knew that. I think people kind of knew that, knew that. But then the data, you know, there's a bunch of phony data out there. People need to be careful. But the data was very clear on this. The median age of death um, from Italy, for instance, which, you know, we were all regaled with those images on on television, was 82 years old. Um, That's kind of enough. You know, I heard that data point and then I just started to read more and it was just lies built on lies. And I just couldn't. I couldn't not say it. And I did it in my own way, which is very diplomatic and data based. And I was never rude. And I never wanted to seem like an angry, hysterical person. I wanted to be calm. And I, I did focus on restrictions to children in my advocacy, although I was opposed to lockdowns more broadly. Yeah. But I felt children could be a bridge. You know, who wants to harm kids is what I thought in my mind. Well, and I think <laughs> and, you were you were right to think that, yeah. right, is that it was clear, I think, pretty quickly that this is very harmful for kids. We all knew that. And so when you spoke up at Levi's about the kids, they did not receive this uh, in any positive way. Uh, And and my guest is is, uh, Jennifer Say. She's the author of Levi's Unbuttoned, The Woke Mob Took My Job But Gave Me My Voice. Uh, You you learned something about what you call in your book the, the uh, the woke mob or woke capitalism. What is that? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, wokeness or wokeism is something that I think has taken over the culture. We've overused it, but it does have a meaning, despite, you know, the left saying you can't define it. You can define it. It's seeing victimization and oppression everywhere when it's not there. It's evaluating every sort of problem we might face in the world through some hierarchy of oppression, when sometimes that's not the issue at all. Um, And... uh, Wokeism, you know, this became stay home forever until there is no more COVID. Use children as human shields. They wouldn't have said it that way. That's my language. Mm-hmm. You know, lock them at home. There is no uh, restriction too great. There is no sacrifice too great. You must make it if you are a good, caring person. And if you don't want to do it, you're a racist and a teacher killer and you're a horrible, you know, psychopathic murderer. Right. That became the position in. In California, broadly, obviously, I was experiencing that in in San Francisco. You know, in any degree of harassment, ad hominem, you know, anything was okay. And the face of it, I mean, look at what we did to people. The cruelty is so unimaginable. We let old folks die alone. We let women give birth alone. Um, we masked two-year-olds. No other country in the world did that. Right. Um, children with disabilities were, you know, not provided services. I, I mean, it just, it like goes on and on, the cruelty that was done in the name of this woke position. And I think um, it, it's just sort of unimaginable to me, but wokeness has also come to kind of dominate the, the culture in corporate America. And I think it started in, you know, the truth be told, it probably started after Occupy Wall Street and the banking crisis because yeah. banking CEOs, they, you know, they wanted to distance themselves from this 
kind of greedy reputation that business leaders had had, but I think it accelerated in the late 2010s. And then in 2020, it just kind of exploded um, with, you know, BLM and the protests and every company disavowing their racism and, you know, and their, and their privilege. And so it's just come to take over. I think it's quite evident in the recent Bud Light um, desktop, right. which I'm sure you're, you're familiar with, but, you know, companies have come to take these very woke stances. They pretend to be social justice warriors. They pretend to not be in it for the money, but they are. It's all a cover. And that's what I think um, people they, need to understand is that these companies are not lies. doing this to not make money. No, this is not a charity, you know, endeavor. Right. And in fact, CEOs are greedier than ever. CEO compensation um, is 351 times the average employee. That's up, you know, in the last 30 years, it used to be 20 times. Like, right. I mean, it's like, it's it's unimaginable, really, how greedy they actually are. But these woke stances and this pretend kind of social justice pose um, allows them to avoid scrutiny as they're, you know, emptying the coffers of the company and laying everybody else off. Yeah. I mean, essentially. And the press buys it. Let's be clear. That's why you see people like Sam Bankman-Fried and Elizabeth Holmes and Adam Newman on the cover of Forbes. And oh, you know, and no these people were there. these people all were ultimately criminals. They were, yeah. I mean, Adam Newman was never connect, uh, right. convicted of anything, but the yeah. other, one was already, and I think it's going and to Adam Freed, yeah, years. Sam Freed. Um, I mean, Adam. Newman, I, I would argue what he did was criminal, but that's beside the point. They were all stealing from yeah. the company. They were stealing from the investors, and they were stealing from the employees. And so, um, a but big, it was a big point. of like we're saving the world, and everybody loves it. I yeah. don't understand why everybody buys it. And that's what I think is uh, one of the great points in your book is that people are buying into this notion that hey, this is really good for the world and good for society, when in fact it's not. And it's covering it's up the not. truth. Yeah, yeah, it's meant to obscure the truth. I don't think they know it. Right. You know, honestly, having been in the boardrooms and having been in, you know, the C-suite rooms, um, they come to believe it about, they want to believe it about themselves. Yeah. You and know, that, these are folks with very big egos. They don't like that they're not respected for being very, very wealthy. You know, they think they're these amazing humans that <laughs> have these gifts to bring the world, and they demand that you not only respect them, but worship them. And this is the means to do that. But they do come to believe it about themselves. And there's pressure from their kids and from younger employees. They're terrified of these younger employees who bring these practices from the university campuses into corporate America. And it's a way for them to get a lot of praise and celebration. Yeah. So in your story, you came to the point where you were sticking up for kids and you were doing it on social media. The company didn't like that. And yeah. at one point you were given uh, an opportunity to stop doing that or they wanted you to stop. You said no. And then they were yeah. going to let you go and they were going to ask you to keep quiet and give you a million dollars to uh, to yeah. do that. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And I was, you know, it started on social media, but I wrote off a lead rallies and yeah. eventually appeared on Fox News, which was kind of the nail in my coffin, so well, to Well, then speak, be, because, because I and I enjoyed it in the book, is that you said you were, you were an Elizabeth Warren voter, but suddenly because you said, I think kids should go back to school, you were some kind of uh, Trump apologist all of a sudden. Oh, I was called a Trumper in our executive team meetings. It's like because I, you know, had said kids should be in school and Trump had said the same, suddenly I, you know, must have a white hood in my closet and I actually 
Um, you know, I, I was called QAnon. I didn't even yeah. know what that was. It's ridiculous. But the truth doesn't matter. And the name calling, which was done very publicly, meaning in, inside the company, um, it certainly dissuades others from speaking up, right? Nobody wants to endure that. And it's very effective to attack someone publicly that way because it serves to keep everybody else in line, even if they're questioning the policies as well. Um, and that makes it much easier to paint me as a lunatic. Right. You know, even though I was correct about everything. Honestly. Yeah. And you had some, uh, you, you, in, in all of this, a lot of people have experienced the last few years the not just having a kind of, um, you know, a public sense of getting banned from Twitter or Facebook or something, but even getting banned by friends or family. You experienced yeah. all of it. I did. Yeah, it's tough. You know, I um, my life is pretty unrecognizable from three years ago. I've lived in San Francisco 35, 33 years. I've lost almost all my friends. Um, you know, some will tolerate me, but I'm not really in it to be tolerated. Um a family member, a close family member, which I write about in the book. We haven't spoken in close to three years, my mm. brother, um, because, you know, I deviated from the party line and I am evil. Now, yeah. And it doesn't matter that I was right. None of that matters because at the end of the day now, you know, they're like, but why did you have to say it? Why couldn't you just fall in line? You know, it is it is something that I think a lot of people are facing. Are you able to stay with me over a break? I can, yeah. Yeah, because I would really like to hear from you what you would tell people about being brave enough to speak up and what you think companies should do who are going down this path to encourage uh, free speech within the company and why that's a good thing. All right, my my guest is Jennifer Say. She is the author of Levi's Unbuttoned, and we will be back with her as the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Jennifer Say. She was on track to become the first woman CEO of Levi Strauss, but because she spoke up for kids who were not in school, the she ended up losing her job ultimately. Her new book is called Levi's Unbuttoned. The woke mob took my job but gave me my voice. Jennifer, thanks for staying with me here. And, you know, one of the things you wrote in your book is that the memory hole beckons. I'm not sure if everybody gets the reference, but it's to 1984. Mm-hmm. And the idea in 1984 is the memory holes where you drop truthful stories in this furnace, basically. And then you can recreate the story. And that is something that's happening today where people are sort of uh, reimagining how they dealt with the COVID. And, you know, we harmed kids and that will stay with them for for their life. And probably it'll affect the life of their kids. Right. It's a major thing. We can't let that go. We can't. And I think it's really important that while there is acknowledgement at this point that they were harmed, there is still opportunity to help many of these kids who fell far behind to catch up. There's an opportunity to help kids who dropped out to come back. Like, we can't just throw up our hands and say, oh, the damage is done, let's move on. That's the first thing. We have to acknowledge that it was so harmful that we never, ever, ever do it again. And I think we also need to hold the people accountable that did it. 
Um, you know, this is not a fog of war. You and I knew we are normies who knew from the very beginning that these decisions were wrong. They were a moral abomination, even if the facts of COVID were not what they are, which is that children are at practically zero risk. It was still a moral abomination. And um, adults failed children. And I think people need to be held accountable. These were decisions that were made by actual human beings. They misled the public into fearfully following. But, you know, Gavin Newsom allowed for this to happen. Public health gave him cover. They allowed for this to happen. The teachers union stood in the way um, and pretended that all the teachers would die if they went back to school. And that was also a lie. And so, you know, these and the press carried the water here. Right. Right? They, they did not. And they, they, you know, there was a manufactured consensus and a reasonable, well-known doctor who was very accomplished, who spoke out against it, was demonized and vilified. Many doctors lost their jobs. Um, and so I think it's important to continue to push for accountability because in most instances, all of these people still have their jobs. They made catastrophic decisions. They knew better and they did it anyway. Who knows why they did, but they did it. And so that's why I, I can't I can't let it go, because to your point, the harm for many, many children across this country, this generation will be impacted. Kids who dropped out, kids who will still drop out, drop out because they became so disengaged. Children who didn't learn to read by third grade, we know, are four times more likely to drop out of high school. That happens. Um, I mean, it goes on and on and on. And, and, and it just it's unforgivable in my mind. There is no amnesty. For it, these people, and it uh, it also continued to harm the even the institutions. I mean, I don't know that we're going to trust public health the next time they come out with something, and they might be right, but we're not going to believe it. This is a crisis uh, of oh yeah, of I trust. don't, I don't, yeah, I didn't really think much about public health in the past. I mean, I do everything they said. Some of the stuff they said was dumb. Like, I mean, I eat you know <laughs> rare burgers or cliff <laughs> eating rare, um, but. Um, yeah, now I don't trust anything. I don't trust anything. They would tell me um, I want to make my own decisions. I know people mock the idea of doing your own research, but I did mine and I was right. So I trust myself more than them. They lied about everything. Why would I think they weren't lying next time? I certainly don't trust the pharmaceutical industry. I don't trust public education. I've been radicalized for school choice, which I, you know, was kind of neutral on before, didn't mm-hmm. really care about. I'd always sent my kids to public school. Um, and I have many teachers in my family and I kind of believe the democratic party line on, on choice being bad, you know, and harming the public school system. But now I think it's an absolute necessity. So, yeah, I don't, I I don't trust any of our institutions Just the, the trust factor, right or wrong on those things, it's bad if there's mistrust. And we have to get right. that back. And you can't get it back by ignoring everything that happened and just letting it the slide. The only way you can get trust back is by telling the truth. That's right. That's right. And I don't see them doing that anytime soon. Yeah. At the end of your book, you wrote, uh, you quoted Teddy Roosevelt, who said once, in any moment of decision, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The next best thing is the wrong thing. And the worst thing you can do is do nothing. And I And too many people did nothing. And too many people did nothing. And I think now, I think people wonder what to do or they're still afraid to speak up on, the, you know, there's going to be more and more things that are coming. There's things in the news now that people are afraid to speak up about. How do we get the courage to to speak even though we might find ourselves like you did alone 
and maybe risk our job or risk relationships with people, but speak up for the truth and speak up particularly for kids? Look, you cannot carry a lie. You cannot. I mean, I think the reason that the, the sort of issue around, you know, uh, women's sports right now, um, you know, in terms of yeah. you know, Riley Games and the, and the stance that she's taken, I think it's such an obvious manifestation of this idea of being told we must further a lie. Like this idea that there's no such thing as biological sex. It's absurd on its face. My six-year-old knows there's a difference. Right. Um, and yet somehow the American Academy of Pediatrics can't articulate the difference or pretends that there isn't one. And look, I, 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 I tell people it will not be easy, but you have to do it because actual truth is what is at stake here. And, you know, and if we don't have open debate in this country and we're all cowed into silence, there will be no truth anymore. We will live in 1984. Mm. And so as much as it thinks to do it, you have to, because the alternative is so much worse. And the fact is, is that good people with common sense, they see the lies and they're too afraid to speak. But I think we're the majority. And so if you just screw up your courage a little bit in your everyday life, and say no to the lies, I think there's more of us. We won't be alone. Yeah. You know, you'll be with us. Well, so I, I don't know how else to do it. You don't have to blow up your whole life, you know, the way I did, which, you know, right. <laughs> good, bad, or otherwise I did. In your everyday life, there are things to push back. And I just read this article the other day about a school in upstate New York that still has silent lunches and masters. Oh, yeah, I read children. that. Yeah. yeah, the David's wine piece. And, you know, I, I think the part that was so striking was the parents he spoke to who said, yeah, we think it's crazy, but we just don't want to rock the boat. Well, if you're not going to rock the boat for your own children, I mean, you have no principle. Yeah, that is, you know, and tell me if you agree with this. I like to say on the show that a lot of the issues that are in our society, I think that most people actually agree or that they could come to a reasonable solution to just about any issue. I think 80% of us could figure out how to do this. There's a very tiny per- a very tiny percent of us who are pushing these agendas and we don't speak and so then they get all the power. I agree with that. And I think the, you know, what I'll call the left-wing woke ideologues, which is probably less than 10% of the population have been given the mic yeah. and everybody has sort of cowed to the ludicrous lies that they're furthering, whether it's you know, the idea that there's such a thing as food neutrality or that you can be, you know, healthy at any size, which is not true and right. it's dangerous. You're not a bad person if you are overweight, but you are putting your health at risk. Um, it, 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 I don't know why we would be silenced by less than 10 percent of the population. And the same is true on the right. Let's be clear. Mm-hmm. It's just both sides. That's right. It's, um it, it, you know, I'll let you choose the issue on the right that the rest of the party is being out um, into accepting, but they're there. So it's the fringe minority, and I don't understand. I think it is probably 70, 75 percent of the population that might have slight differences but could come together to find reasonable solutions. But we allow ourselves to be silenced by these ideologues, and I, yeah. I don't understand it because they're, they don't make any sense. They don't. You know, in your book, you gave us some examples at the end for how to help with uh, free speech and and viewpoint diversity, you said, and it has to do with being inside a corporate culture, but it's also something, I think, with friends. 
And one of the pieces of advice that you gave that I think is right on is that we need to talk with people and have relationships with people who have different opinions than us. Yeah, I think that's really important. I, you know, I can't say, you know, before COVID, I think most of my friends were in my my left wing bubble. You know, I lived mm-hmm. in San Francisco after all. You know what that's like. It's I mean, easy. It's easy for us to get in our bubble. I mean, this is the Pastor Scott show. There's a pastor bubble. You wouldn't believe what happens in there, right? Oh, I bet. Yeah, but since then, I found a, a cohort um, that is very different. We're all over the place. We've got, you know, I would call myself a disaffected lefty, but there's, you know, religious folks from religious folks, you know, Catholics, Christians, Mormons. Um, Jews, every everything. Um, we've got Republicans, independents. We have people that would still call themselves Democrats. Yeah. We've had lively conversations about very difficult issues, you know, choice, abortion, whatever you want to call it, right to life. Um, and, you know, we, we, we disagree, but we can find a way to find a, we find a way to talk about it and be respectful. And I think I gained empathy uh, I may not change my mind, although I've changed it a little bit. Right. Um, but that but empathy I, matters. And, and Jennifer, we're just about out of time, but uh, yeah. uh, thank you for being with me today and uh, for what you're doing and speaking out. And I hope that you, your book, and uh, wherever you're led now will continue to help people speak out and to not be afraid of, of being alone, because really they're not. Yeah, that's the point. You're right. You're not alone. You'll yeah. find a new cohort, and you'll find people that embrace you and stand with you. You will, I promise. You will. And uh, my guest has been Jennifer Say, and uh, her new book is called Levi's Unbuttoned. You can find it wherever books are sold, Amazon or other places. Levi's Unbuttoned. The woke mob took my job but gave me my voice. You can also follow Jennifer Say. It's Jennifer, S-E-Y, Jennifer, S-E-Y, Jennifer Say, dot substack, dot com, or find her at Jennifer Say on Twitter, the Twitter machine. And uh, I want to thank you. And I, like I said, I, I wanted to say this, too, is that uh, you mentioned in your book that your husband used to help uh, kids in a special way with their uh, their SATs. And my kid's, you know, going to be 14, so maybe I'll get in touch with you for that. Oh, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. And you read so carefully. I'm impressed. You read the book very carefully. Well, I enjoyed it very much, and I recommend it. So, Jennifer, thank you for being with me today on the Pastor Scott Show. Thank you, Pastor. All right, everybody. Jennifer Say. Go to uh, Jennifer Say, S-E-Y.substack.com to read her uh, Substack paper, which is very good. Her new book is Levi's Unbuttoned. All right, friends. Hey, when we come back, uh, some news. Maybe you haven't heard the news yet, but... uh, Pastor Charles Stanley passed away today, and we'll have a guest on to talk about this, and uh, we'll certainly be talking about him later on in the week as well. But we wanted to take some time and uh, and uh, talk about that. Thank you for listening. This is the Pastor Scott Show. I'll be back with that story as the Tuesday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. If we don't pray about our life, there are consequences. We fall into sin. We become discouraged. We get depressed. We become fruitless and barren in life. Our life doesn't count as it ought to. Why? Because you see, prayer is the thing that keeps us connected. In other words, prayer is like that power line. And where there's prayer, there's power. And where there's prayerlessness, there is no power. 
and you keep wondering, well, why is it I keep falling into sin? And why can't I do this? And why, why aren't my sermons effective? Or why aren't uh, my witnesses effective? And why don't I understand this? And why this and why that? I'd ask you a simple question. How much time do you spend before the Father seeking wisdom and guidance and direction and his, and his power in your life? And listen, his insights into his word and the strength to do what you know that God wants you to do. That's the power line. You cut it off and you, you, you've got a problem. Welcome back, everybody, to the, to the Pastor Scott Show. And that was Pastor Charles Stanley, who you would know if you listen to our station regularly. And uh, he passed away today. He went to go be with Jesus. He was 91 years old. He was the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Atlanta for 51 years. And, of course, you hear him on In Touch Ministries. And he has affected the lives of so many of us. And I know we're going to be talking about this for a little while. With me is Christopher Gould. He's the Senior Vice President of uh, National Program Development at Salem Media, the parent company of our, our show. And uh, Chris, thanks for being with us today. Do I get your title right? Happy to be with you, Scott. Yeah, that's just fine. Yeah. So you work with the national ministries that are on uh, so many radio stations, including In Touch and uh, Dr. Charles Stanley. That's right. It's a it's a joy and a privilege to place programming on all the Salem Christian teaching and talk stations from coast to coast, from New York to L.A. and everything in between. You know, I hear from people, uh, in fact, a friend of mine was saying the other day just how uh, randomly he turned on a Christian teacher, and it was Charles Stanley, this is several days ago, and he said he needed to hear that sermon at that moment. And yeah. I think it's impossible to say how many people uh, he was able to uh, point to Jesus through his radio ministry. I think it's countless millions of people, Scott. Yeah. There's, there's really no, no question about it. I mean, Isaiah fifty five eleven says that my word will go forth from my mouth, and it will accomplish the purpose with which I send it. It will not return void. And Dr. Charles Stanley, over these last 50 years, has been so faithful in the proclamation of God's Word through broadcast, primarily radio and television, and has reached and, and preached to millions of people. You hear that voice, you hear the truth, and you are closer to God because of it and because of his faithfulness. So he's, we're going to dearly miss Dr. Charles Stanley. In your role, and uh, by the way, this is Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Christopher Gould, and the number is 888-528-2557 if you've got a memory of Dr. Stanley. Uh, in your role, you got to know uh, Dr. Stanley personally, yes? I did. I did. I had lunch with Dr. Stanley on several occasions, many visits over the years, and he was one of the kindest, most generous, loving men that I've ever met. Uh, what, what you heard on the radio and what you saw on television was the true Dr. Charles Stanley. He put on no pretenses hmm. when he was off the mic or off the camera. He was the same. And that's the consistency of a man of God. And, and one of his life principles has stuck with me the entire time because one of the times I had a chance to meet him way back in the, uh, it was 2003 when I first met him in person. He came to speak at our pastor's event in Tampa and he said, 
He said, obey God, Chris, and leave all the consequences to him. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've heard that. It's such and, a great and, word. Well, you, you, you may have heard it, but if you heard it spoken, you know, by Charles Stanley to you, it just, it, it just sits right in my heart, and mm-hmm. I, I think about it almost every day. Yeah. I mean, he, and he blessed so many of us that way with a personal word to each one of us. Anyone who's met Dr. Stanley can testify to the kindness of his eyes, the, the, the softness of his voice, and the conviction in his heart, and he he just connected with people. He had something very, very special. You know, I think it's good for people to hear that he's the same guy that they see on their, they hear on the radio, or maybe they watch this television program, and, and that's not always the case, but it certainly is with him, and I think that's really great for, for people to hear. We're getting a lot of response, uh, you know, online. Friends of mine and people who follow me online, you know, one person uh, has uh, named Jason, he sent me a picture of his very well-worn Charles Stanley Life Principles Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the resources that InTouch has been able to provide is absolutely staggering. And one, one thing that people should know about Dr. Stanley is he always wanted to do things in an excellent fashion. His resources are beautiful. They're gorgeous. He was an avid photographer. His calendars, you know, have adorned my wall for uh, two decades. Every resource he has put together, a daily devotional, whatever it may be, his, his, his Life Principles Bible, they all have been done in an excellent fashion. And so I'm sure they're treasured you know, by many millions of people all over the world. He, he sold over 10 million books, Scott. I yeah. mean, there's not too many people that have sold that many books. I mean, you know, he's well-loved and well-resourced all around the country, all, all around the world, really. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Chris Gould, and we're talking about Dr. Charles Stanley, who passed away. He went to go be with Jesus and you know, I was listening to a sermon of his today uh, on on heaven, and how we have our our true hope is in heaven, and how easy it is to put our hope. I'm almost tempted to talk like him now, right? How <laughs> how, how easy it is to hope in things of of this world, but the only hope we really have is in Christ, and those things can't be taken away. He's experiencing that right now. Yeah, it's so so. Um such a joy, really, to think that he's with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, someone that he dedicated his entire life to from the age of 14. When I visited with Dr. Stanley in Atlanta at the InTouch facility some 20 years ago, he took me up to his office, beautiful facility, beautiful office, and he said, Chris, you know what the most important part about my office is? And I looked around, and I wasn't exactly sure, was it this little section over here with a bunch of books, a study table, a desk? He pointed to the closet. When you walked over next to his desk, he had an open door with a little closet, a thin little mattress, and a blanket that his mother had made for him, and a little pillow and a Bible. And he said the most important part of my office is that prayer closet mm. where I spend most of my day. Wow. 
he was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer. And I think that that is something that when you you hear him and you see how God has used him and through ups and downs, you know, throughout his life, he stayed steady with his preaching and his ministry. He'll talk about uh, challenges, as any pastor would have, you know, that are significant and just how he persevered. When I was pastoring, I got a lot out of hearing him talk to other pastors. Mm. Uh, and, you know, when you think of somebody who has got a national ministry and all these millions of people listening you kind of don't hear that they're going through the same thing at the church meeting that you're going through at your church meeting when no one's ever heard of you. And there's something just very encouraging about that. And he used that to really help a lot of pastors. There's a lot of things that behind the scenes people don't hear, but his ministry to many of us was very significant. He had a a real love for pastors. As I mentioned earlier, He came and spoke at our first pastor's event in Tampa, Florida in 2003. I'll never forget it because it was just a couple of days after Hurricane Charlie had come through central Florida. I mean, most of the state was still shut down. And we had 300 pastors in the St. Pete Yacht Club to hear Charles Stanley mm. on that. Just two days after that hurricane, we say that Charles Stanley hurricane-proofed that pastor's event. And so he took the platform, and he turned to this group of 300 pastors, and he said, I know what you're thinking. Why did, why did his wife leave him? And he addressed that question mm-hmm. first, the yeah. moment he took the platform. And he said, you know what? She couldn't explain to you today why she left me then, and she can't explain it now. Yeah, it, it's it's a bit of a conundrum, and and I just told the Lord that I would be committed to Him and His Word for the rest of my days, and He was true to that. Yes, he was. He true was. To that. Yes. He was faithful in the proclamation of God's Word every moment from you know, when they separated until he just passed away. So he's to be commended. Yes. Well, we'll be remembering him on our show uh, later on this week. Uh, Chris, thank you for joining me today on the Pastor Scott Show. Happy to be with you. All right. My guest is Christopher Gould. He is the National Program uh, Senior Vice President at Salem Media. So we wanted to have him on to talk about uh, our partner, who uh, went to go be with Jesus, who more than anything else is a partner with Christ, and he's with him now, Dr. Charles Stanley. We'll talk about him later on this week. I know you've got stories. This is the Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back with Hour 2 as we continue in just a moment. You can get the podcast of this episode on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, or go to our radio station website, click or uh, use keyword Scott. You can find it right there. Pastor Scott Show, Tuesday edition. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.